Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. With Swan Bitcoin, you can add Bitcoin to your corporate or business balance sheet, and it's never been easier. Swan Bitcoin Treasury Solutions makes it easy for you to incorporate Bitcoin into your financial strategy. You can automate your Bitcoin investment, custody, and management strategy, and you can get expert guidance every step along the way. Also, if you have employees, consider Swan's Bitcoin benefit plan. This makes it easy for you to recruit, reward, and retain top talent with Bitcoin. So Swan handles all the heavy lifting like creating wallets, converting currency, and routing payments, and And like magic, your employees receive Bitcoin and world-class financial education monthly as a benefit from you. So if you want dedicated access to a Bitcoin-only expert and you want to be onboarded really quickly, go to swan.com slash business. Next is CoinKite. As you all know, not your keys, not your coins. It's important to think about self-custody and CoinKite are making hardware, products and tools that you can use to easily self-custody. The cold card is my favorite Bitcoin hardware device. It's really reliable and very practical, and it just makes it so easy to self-custody your coins. You can use it in air-gapped mode with NFC or with a micro SD card, or you can directly plug it into a computer if you are a beginner, and you can use it in all kinds of configurations, whether it's single signature or with a passphrase or as part of a multi-signature setup or with BIP85. There's so many options and you actually learn more about Bitcoin as you explore some of those. So if you want to get your cold card with a discount, go to coinkite.com and use the code Levera for a discount on your cold cards. Mempool.space is my favorite Bitcoin blockchain explorer. You can go there and view the multiple layers of the Bitcoin ecosystem. You can view the mempool, you can see the blockchain, you can see second layer networks like the Lightning Network. With Mempool.space, you don't even have to trust a third party. It's free and open source software, and you can easily host it yourself. If you are with an enterprise, Mempool.space has special features available for you, such as a customized mempool instance where you can have your company's branding there. You can have increased API limits and access to the team for feature requests. So go and learn more over at mempool.space slash enterprise. So for today's episode, if you've wondered what it's like to manage large lightning nodes and what are some of the challenges, today I'm speaking with Henrik Skugstrom. He is the founder and CEO of LN Capital, and they are producing Talk, which is a lightning management software. So we talk about some of the challenges, routing, monitoring, notifications, tools required, as well as broader thoughts around where Lightning Network is, the development of it, privacy versus reliability, and new technology coming. Here's my chat with Henrik. Henrik, welcome to the show. Thank you. So uh, I've been watching some of your threads and things you guys are working on over at LN Capital with interest and uh, thought it would be interesting to have a chat with you. So uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, you know what you guys are doing at LN Capital? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I, I've been in lightning um, industry since 2019. And through that, I watched sort of this um, the entire network grow and uh, as uh, the first sort of uh, time there, I was working with Arcane and building like a payment system. And um, after I was uh, done there, I realized just the the lack of tooling and the um, um, when I started playing around with routing node, for example, I saw that we had a, um, a very hard time managing as the node grew. So so that's where we started and and started building a a proper um, scalable node management system. So um, gotcha. And so then. I guess that's how you got started in Lightning. And then in terms of what you are working on now, what's the main thing? As I understand, is it talk? That's the main thing you guys are 
that's the main product you yep. guys have, right? Exactly. So we're building um, uh, Torque as a very powerful, scalable node management system for really large node operations. So if you have multiple nodes and you have a thousand of channels and uh, millions of dollars on your nodes, you need something that really gives you that control um, that you need to run a proper uh, organization. So imagine doing that with just command line tools or simple Python scripts. It's It's not a safe way to handle that. Right. And I can... Recall from my earlier chat with people like Zero Fee Routing, where he was talking through his difficulties with that. And I think from his perspective, at least at that time, he didn't want to run a lot of extra software because he was worried that that's introducing vulnerabilities and security flaws. So he had a you know a concern from that perspective. Um, but I think maybe if we were to zoom out a little and think about the Lightning Network broadly, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well, because we see a lot of back and forth online about how much payment volume is going through on Lightning, right? Because people could argue mm. to you and to me, and now, of course, I'm a promoter and a supporter of Lightning, and obviously, as you are. But people come to us and say, as an example, oh, look at the data on, let's say, BitRefill or CoinCards. There's not that many people paying with Lightning, as an example. Um, mm. So perhaps the argument could be, it's not that popular yet. I'm curious what you, how you see that. Well... Depends. I mean, um, not sure if Bitrefill is the the best source to say how popular it is because that's one use case, right? Um, but yeah, we've seen the network grow uh, steadily over uh, the last few years, and especially the last year, you can see that the allocation towards the big nodes, the the large destinations, exchanges, merchants, and all this, that is increasing. Um, so that also indicates that there is usage there. There is no point for routing nodes or small operators or, or the other operators to allocate capital to nodes where it's not being used. So I think there is an increase in transaction volume. And you can see that from wallets as well, like Wallet Satoshi transaction volume is increasing. Um, yeah, there's been some reason one Kevin Rook is mentioning some of them and periodically as well. So it is definitely increasing. Yeah. And I think that's good to see. And part of that, as I'm seeing it, is more integrations, right? So we're seeing if, if a big exchange turns on Lightning, then maybe we start to see more volume coming from their customers who maybe they are not ready to, let's say, run their own Lightning node or use uh, some of the more uh, non-custodial Lightning wallets uh, applications, but they maybe are more willing to just use the inbuilt integration that comes with their exchange, whether it's Bitfinex or Kraken or etc. And I and I believe um, Brian Armstrong from Coinbase has mentioned that they will be implementing Lightning. And of course, as much as you know, you can say what well, we can we can say uh, our criticisms of Coinbase, but having them implement Lightning would be, I think, a good thing as well in terms of building and growing the network and the possibilities there. Absolutely, yeah. And I think there is going to be a wave of new exchanges, especially adding Lightning in the coming year. Um, I heard multiple places, different people are working on this. So it's, um, I think we're getting to the point where the technology and the, the main challenges are starting to get mapped out and people are starting to implement this uh, on larger scale. And this is, of course, where we come in as well. We're starting to, to address this problem of running large node operations uh, where until now people had built sort of this, all this small tooling themselves. So I think, yeah, we're going to see a, a lot of new exchanges and, and places adding Lightning. So... Let's talk a little bit about that. So you mentioned some of the challenges. So can you talk us through what are some of the key challenges that, 
let's say I would face if I if I am an LSP, a lightning service provider, or let's say a routing node, what are some of the key challenges that I would face or we would face? Yeah, so they, in, in some way they are similar that they're both trying to optimize stability and reliability of payments or forwards. So uh, depending on, on what you do, but uh, for an LSP, the, one of the main things is, of course, having a high success rate on your payments. So you need to monitor and make sure that the channels are uh, well suited for that. You need to close uh, peers or channels with peers that are unreliable. Um, you also need to automate changes in um, in uh, rebalancing or opening closed channels or um, or the fees, depending on what's happening with your, uh, with your node. So these are some of the things where um, automation is going to be an increasing factor uh, in order to solve this. Yeah. And so let me just give a quick explainer for people who are new. I'll try to, let's try to keep it accessible for people. So for people who aren't really familiar, the way Lightning works is we open channels. It's a network of payment channels. That's what Lightning is. And you can think of it like it's an abacus and there are beads on that abacus. And then let's say I open a channel with you, Henrik, and you know, as, as payments go through, we're pushing beads on that abacus back and forth. And as you're mentioning, the large routing node operators or LSPs have to manage that balance because you might have an abacus, not just with you know one person, but with many. You might have 100 channels. You might have hundreds of channels or in some cases, thousands of channels. And so this is then about managing the liquidity as in the balances on those sides because in some cases, you may have too much of the balance on my side of the abacus or maybe there's too much on your side of the abacus and then we need to do operations to sort of swap some of that in or swap some of that out and so that's where some of this node management software comes in so do you want to tell us a little bit about how firstly we monitor what's going on so as we said we might have lots of channels but maybe they are into a bad location right? That, you know, uh, it matters where your channel is because in Lightning, you, you if you're trying to earn, as an example, you want to have your channels in the direction that lots of other people are going to pay towards. And you want to ideally kind of be in the middle because you're, you're clipping the ticket as a middleman, as an example. Now, that's if you're trying to earn as a routing node. Um, but if you are a service provider, as you said, you want to have high reliability, right? So in this case, let's say you are operating a wallet service for somebody else and they want to have a nice payment experience. Well, then you need to be able to deliver a nice payment experience and have, let's say, a high reliability as in a, a high percentage chance that that payment is going to go through you know, quickly and with reasonable fees, let's say. So I think those are probably some of the key components that the routing node operators are thinking about. And those are some of the key challenges. So can you tell us a little bit from a monitoring monitoring perspective, what does that look like for a routing node mm. operator? Yeah, sure. So essentially, a lot of the tools that has been out there is like you can ask for what is the balance in each of my channels right now. But it's an important factor as well to see like what has the history of the balance been. So if, if you open a channel and sort of the entire liquidity is drained and then um, all the money is left on um, there's the other side of the channel, for example, uh, indefinitely, then you, you need to see that as the same with if sort of whenever you gain a bit of inbound um, outbound liquidity, it's immediately drained again. So having sort of this history of how a channel has behaved and also how a node has behaved over time is, uh, is an important um, part to have. But I think it's, it's important to remember that 
We have a lot of different uh, companies trying to simplify Lightning for the end user, either it's a wallet or it's uh, a shop or individual users uh, directly. But at some point, it, it stops by how Lightning Network works and somebody needs to manage the channels in the end. And this has a tendency, I think, to grow and, and sort of become a business of scale. So when you have thousands of channels, you, you can't go through uh, manually and look and inspect on every single channel. Um, you need to be able to see uh, an aggregate of this happening. You need to, uh, to be able to quickly navigate through this mass of channels. So this is an area where I think we're, we're still seeing a lot of development and how these large companies are operating on behalf of others. And that's the entire sort of um, development in the LSP space, lighting service provider space. Um, we're just starting to see that really catch uh, catch up speed now. Um, like with the LightSpark coming on the market. Um, yeah. I see. And just as a quick example, the idea then is that you could presumably have tools that tell you if, let's say, a lot of your channels are getting exhausted rather than because if you have hundreds of channels manually managing that, I mean, it's possible, but it takes a lot of manual work. And over mm. time, this is this needs to be automated, correct? So could you tell us a little bit about how that kind of monitoring would work? Yeah, so um, what we're doing is we're building an automation um, workflow setup so you can actually automate anything the node can do. So right now we have um, we have channel data coming in, we have uh, op- uh, we have um, rebalancing and fee changes, and you can tag channels in order to group them. Um, but we're adding more and more. So the goal is to automate absolutely everything a node can do. Um, so what we're seeing is that they can look at the history of the channel automatically and have uh, certain decision um, factors to this and, and act on that. Um, so you can open channels on request uh, or if in given scenarios and you can uh, close them in, in uh, certain scenarios, all based on sort of the experience that you build up as an operator over time. Um, and of course, this will evolve even further and more automation. And in these days with AI, everything is going to be AI at some point. So, so, but still to do this, you need some sort of tool to, to have the, the means to change this, even with AI. I see. Yeah. And so with Talk, could you tell us what implementations it's supporting, right? Because there's, there's LND, there's Core Lightning, there's uh, Rust Lightning, uh, there's Eclair. I think Electrum has an implementation. There's different imp- implementations. So what's currently supported with Talk? Mm. So currently we have LND, but we started and we're pretty far along with CLN. So um, yeah, it's pretty soon we're going to release that. And then we're looking to to start with LDK next, so Rust Lightning. Yes, yeah, so and we're building more towards the the higher sort of bigger operation yeah. uh, nodes. Um, so those are the three we have on the map so far. I see. And um, can you give people an idea of the cost as well for those of you, those people who are interested? Uh, right now, Torque is uh, is free, so we're not introducing any uh, paid plans yet, but um, we're going to soon. I see. Yeah, and but as you said, this is more of an enterprise level, big node product as opposed to let's say the average, let's say, retail individual who just wants to run his Lightning node. Um, and so I guess yeah. that might be interesting as well. Could you contrast some of the different tooling that exists today? So as an example, how does Talk differ from, say, RTL or LND Hub? Yeah, so what we do is we, we collect all the data from the node in real time um, and make sure that all that is stored in a proper way in a timescale database or Postgres um, database with timescale uh, plugin add. It makes it possible for us to aggregate and pull that information from any point in time and see what happened with your node at any point in time, uh, almost instantly. 
You can also see that with um, um, with your channels. If you have thousands of channels, those other tools, they can't load them. Essentially, you, you try to refresh the page and it takes like 30 minutes. Uh, with Torque, you can see that instantly. And that's because we, we build Torque to be able to handle any such a node uh, like that. I see. And one other question with Torque, I guess, put it this way. Is it running... Is the software running all locally on that node or is it sort of requiring on, let's say, calling out to like a service that you are operating? You know, does, do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, 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 yeah sure. So yeah, Torque collects all data directly from the node, but we, <clears throat> uh, with L&D and with different implementations, there are some weaknesses. For example, with L&D, it doesn't give you information retrospectively about when a channel closed or opened. And there's also some other scenarios where you can't get certain types of information from the nodes. That In that case, we have a server that they reach out to and get some additional information I see. Uh, in order I see. to sort of boost that and fulfill it. Right, to sort of give them more information about how to run their node as an example. And I'm also curious if you have any thoughts on this or maybe there's a part of the product deals with this. As you were saying, there are different kinds of nodes out there, right? That there might be some nodes who tend to be uh, a sync, right? They tend to receive a lot of coins and then they end up being... And that could be like a merchant maybe or maybe um, some of the swap servers. Maybe maybe some of the swap servers have both ways. So is there an element there where you are categorizing nodes and saying this node tends to receive a lot, this node tends to send a lot, and this is how, let's say, I as the routing node operator need to adjust for that or at least plan my strategy around how I'm how I'm going to interact with that particular node. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> there are multiple ways of doing that. So of course, the most basic is you can tag uh, nodes or channels. So you can tag actually a node to being like a sync. So you can do that, for example, to loop. And every time you have a channel with them, that, that becomes a, a sync channel. Um, and you can use that in the automation, of course, as well to act upon that in different ways. Um, but we also have very advanced filtering systems. So you can set up filtering just like you would do with SQL, basically uh, saying different criterias, um, categorizing nodes. So you can either use that to tag them directly or to, to act upon them in, in terms of, uh, for example, uh, rebalancing. Um, so this, I think, is a very important aspect as well. Like as you have thousands of channels, there's no longer... Like it becomes sort of categories of channels, like they behave differently. Are you open to a shop or an exchange or a wallet or a like a um, looping provider? Um, and uh, and these, of course, have distinct behavior. So, yeah, having sort of that system in order to to and to quickly um, label them is really important. I see. Yeah. So being able to categorize the different kinds of nodes or channels out there as you as you mentioned um and so then uh, yeah it just means you have to because you might depending on who you are as well because you might be a merchant let's say you're a large merchant who's running this kind of software you yourself might be kind of like more like a a sink let's say because lots of coins are coming your way and every now and again you just need to swap out let's say out from lightning out to take that money on chain let's say so that you can you know do something with it or you know although i guess as more exchanges start to support lightning well then you may actually be able to receive on lightning and then um sell for fiat on an exchange if you're a merchant who needs Mm. fiat let's say to pay the bills so i guess it it is a constantly shifting uh game in that way whereas maybe in the earlier years of lightning you had to do that whereas now maybe not as much we'll see Mm. yeah that's that's one of the interesting parts with with the industry as well it's evolving quite quickly uh, new additions, new possibilities are adding uh, added constantly. So it is um, having a tool that's a bit dynamic to this and, and constantly being sort of on the learning side of it is important. 
But uh, as you said, with with merchants as well, they they often end up being either a main sort of sink or a uh, source. So that creates its own sort of problems and how you deal with that. Right now, we're, we're seeing this increase in service providers selling liquidity or trying to offer that in, in different ways. And I think for a lot of merchants, this increase in services is uh, something that's really going to drive adoption as well. I see. And so there are different kinds of LSPs as well. So I guess some LSPs may exist as like a wallet backend, let's say, um, and maybe others are operating as a swap service. So they are helping people swap off-chain to on-chain. Like as an example, Bolts.exchange, I think is one good example with the swap as a swap provider. And mm. then there are, yeah, just different kinds of services that exist in Lightning. So could you talk a little bit to that or elaborate on the different kinds of services? Mm. Yeah, um, like this landscape is just growing in complexity. Um, we, I think also we're seeing the, um, the sort of line between routing nodes and LSPs is starting to blur a bit where a lot of the, the larger routing nodes are looking into becoming like uh, liquidity providers, service providers in that sense. And yeah, I mean, there are some who, who just focus on selling on-demand liquidity and some are like, it feels like all of this right now is just a bit unclear. Uh, you have the, the um, payment processors who are leading into the LSP space as well, uh, depending on like how much of an UI do they have. So it is still uh, in in sort of uh, quick development there. But I think the, the commonality among all of them is that they're focusing on making it easier for people to just use Lightning and not care about the entire complexity. And they're trying to hide that layer from them. Um, and of course, that involves different things for different um, users of that those products. So I think it's natural. I think we're just going to see an uh, um, increase in the vocabulary around uh, what an LSP is, like LSP X, LSP UI. I see. Yeah, maybe it'll be becoming more specific over time. But for now, people are sort of being a bit general in a way. And I think that can happen exactly. where, let's say, a particular company is doing multiple roles. So a quick example would be, Coin Corner or Bitfinex, where they are both an exchange and a merchant services provider. So they sort of also provide that sort of service of helping the merchant take Lightning payment and then swap it for fiat or on-chain if they want Bitcoin on-chain. Um, and then Definitely. you have other you know, people like, I think probably Ebex, Ebex Mercado is another example because they have Ebex Pay and then Ebex Mercado. Uh, and then maybe someone like OpenNode is more they're probably known more for the payment side of it. They're not really an exchange per se. So they just deal more with like helping merchants take the payment and then receive either fiat or, you know, Bitcoin on chain. So I guess those are some of the different examples that are out there today. But as you said, it's constantly evolving and changing and we may see more individuals um, or maybe large routing nodes who just have their own reason. Maybe they just want to be a routing node or maybe they are selling channels. That's like another whole concept as well, right? Because I yeah. know um, BitRefill sell channels, LNB sells channels, um, there, and uh, even LND or Lightning Labs has um, their pool service as well. So you might be a, a, a channel sell seller. Exactly. And that, that again is into the Lightning service provider space. And 
I think some routing nodes are going to notice the the difference when they enter that like service provider. They have these obligations to keep these channels open. They the customers uh, rely on that inbound liquidity, for example, to run their business, and it it turns that sort of uh, a routing node from being almost like a fund who invests in sort of uh, their own portfolio of channels into being somebody who like they have a service agreement in a way they have to give that, that liquidity. Um, so I think that is also something where the, the routing nodes doing that, they're, they're entering much more into a profession, professional operation, much quicker than they maybe think. And is that a service or like a, or maybe there already is something in that for, um, in talk in terms of your product. So let's say an LSP wants to use talk as how they manage their channels. They might then need to tag certain channels as saying, no, no, that's the channel I've sold. I can't just close that. I, I have to provide, let's say one month or two months of guaranteed uptime on that channel therefore don't sh- don't close this channel down and don't include it in the automations that may automatically close the channel if it's not performing hmm. yeah exactly so this again is where we can use tags uh, we're going to expand this even further but what you can say is that um, you can you can open a channel and then immediately tag it as being a channel you sold so you can give it for example a tag that means that it listens for being open for X amount of uh, months or days or whatever before it's being closed. Um, so we're going to add more like uh, automatic closing of channels and that can, of course, use these criterias. But also uh, having that interaction, um, the features that we're focusing now on are more uh, towards the LSP space where we increase uh, exactly what to explain there. So you can automate these types of uh, interactions. I see. Um, and I also know that at the larger lightning node level, there are sometimes people who are actually running multiple lightning nodes as part of their, you know, their uh, overall operation. They may have one at the front and some sort of sort of shadow nodes in the background. Um, I'm curious how Talk is going to deal with that and how you're thinking about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, yeah, it's necessary for reliability reasons. So Torque is built uh, to handle multiple nodes. So you can add multiple today and you will see all channels in one. You can, of course, filter and see just data for each of the different nodes. But it's, um, yeah, it's inherently built in to, to be um, serving that enterprise market that needs at least uh, two nodes, often four uptime reliability. And as we see with River, for example, they have four, like two public and two private uh, nodes. Yeah, so it's, it's a really important feature for us. Yeah, and as I understand, the reason part of the reason for that is that if they need to do up, uh, upgrades or things like this, they, they sort of need to be able to have one up and the other down while they're doing upgrades on this and still keep the availability going um, as as Lightning Network professionalizes over time and become mm-hmm. you know, it needs a certain level of reliability. They can't just sort of say, oh, we're down for half an hour. You know, well, no, there's payments that need to go through. So that's one example. Um, another area that's perhaps interesting is notifications as well. So I think that's something you're looking at uh, in terms of the routing node operator being able to receive notifications when things go wrong or things go down. Obviously, if you're a professional routing node operator or even semi-pro, you may need that. Yeah, exactly. So we had uh, we had for some time have uh, had this feature where you can get notified. Of course, if your node is down, but also if the the blockchain uh, is out of sync uh, on your node, or if the the gossip of the node in the Lightning Network is out of sync as well. Uh, and we just now added the feature to to have that connected directly from your Torque instance to your private uh, Telegram bot or your um, Slack channel as well. So, yeah, having that notification immediately. Um, 
It's important we're also going to boost that more with the different types of alerts that you need, again, through automation. So you can actually build uh, workflows that says, like, if this channel uh, closes, then open, send a message on Slack and warn us about that. I see, yeah. So then the node operator can quickly get a notification and go do some operation and try to fix things. Um, and exactly. And there's, there's cases where yeah. you can't uh, do anything automatic. You just need to, to see like, oh, this edge case happened. Okay, we need to deal with it. And if we try to define all of those edge cases, the rules, it's, it's never going to work. So that's why, we, again, we build it into this workflow where they can define this themselves. Yeah. And when it comes to operating a routing node, there may be those individuals who are trying to operate it pr- profitably. And so they want to understand what their costs are because they may be thinking, well, okay, how much is it going to cost me to do a rebalance? Or how much is it going to cost me to do a channel operation to close a channel and reopen? Uh, How much is it going to cost me for swap in or out? So could you talk to us a little bit about monitoring the costs of a routing node for that operator? And if Talk is offering anything around that? Yes, this is actually where we started. We, We focused on routing nodes in the beginning. And we have a lot of historic metrics. They can see how much have they spent on different um, costs throughout uh, a given time period. So you can select a month or whatever days you want. Um, So you can see then sort of rebalancing costs, the open and close costs. um, so that for now, we're going to increase this as well. Um, we haven't looked into sort of prediction of costs yet, but I think it's, um, it's something where, uh, as a routing node operator, um, opening and closing, uh, cost prediction is, is something that you, you check the mempool and, um, uh, it's, it's not necessarily that easy to predict. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just inherently going to be hard because of the mempool shifting as well, right? Like even with all this crazy, you know, the ordinals, inscriptions, stuff which of course i discourage but it's there um but it seems to wax and wane so it seems you know uh the mempool cleared again recently whereas people were betting on whether it would not clear um and of course you know i think many of us have hypothesized that we won't see real a lot of lightning adoption until we see a sustained fee market or block space market um although that said even without the fee even in a low fee environment it is still a better ux when you're yeah. paying online to pay with Lightning, or especially in person. If you're paying in person, Lightning is just so much better. So I think there is an incentive there, but I think the real push for Lightning will come when we see high fees. Yeah, it might be. Um, I think we, we have seen sort of a steady increase uh, in capacity, and I think that's sort of a steady increase of use as well. Of course, when we see this huge increase in, in fee costs, I think that might push uh, more providers to, to start working on it. it might be why there's more providers working on it right now even um, but of course in that next hype cycle the, the fees might shoot through the roof and then like everybody just has to go on lightning but um yeah i i just think that the the user experience is so much better on lightning anyway so just happening with time anyway i see yeah yeah i agree with you but i think it's probably fair to say my expectation for the last cycle was to see more lightning because of the I thought the fees would go higher basically right like I you know I was probably like many of us saying yeah I think you know at that time in maybe 2019 and 2020 that you know the kind of next cycle would see a lot more lightning use where I would say comparatively or just relatively it was a bit less than what I was expecting because and maybe for that's for different reasons maybe more people were using custodial things or stable coins as opposed to using bitcoin or lightning as i was anticipating but uh you know every now and again we get humbled right yeah yeah but also think that 
you got to remember the the state that Lightning was in at the time. It was hard to do transactions, right? You tried to buy a five dollar postage for stickers, and it's stuck right now. <laughs> transactions again. At that point, it was very very early, in like twenty nineteen. I mean, and I think the the development that has happened between now and and then is is a huge factor to making it a reality and, and making like we, we got to remember that Lightning scales Bitcoin, but we still need to scale Lightning right for for the companies operating and using it. So yeah, I think that's the difference going to be a difference between then and the next cycle. I see. Yeah, and I think you're right that uh, we need integrations to be there as well for for the benefit to come. And if exchanges aren't playing ball then it's hard to get the benefit out of it. Now, of course, there are some that are very forward. So, for example, a Bitfinex, uh, as an example, because they were very early with Lightning. Mm. Of course, they were kind of plugged in and ready to go, but maybe other providers weren't so ready. Now, now we are starting to see more. Of course, we have you know, Coin Corner, River, Strike, Cash App, you know, Lightning ready. Mm. Um, and so we're seeing that. So that, that's a good thing to see. Um, and so maybe next cycle, we will start to see... Uh, more actual lightning use in that because people might already have integrations. I think the other aspect of it is that people just you tend to just use wallets that they already have. Mm. They're not as inclined to shift over to a new one. So maybe there's an argument there that let's say as an example, you might be less inclined to spend lightning unless you're already earning over lightning also because that's you know, it's just it just a lot of people will just stick with a the wallet they already have. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, of course, some of the major world providers adding Lightning is a benefit. But um, yeah, it just, like you said, we, we're we seeing sort of some of these uh, exchanges uh, starting to integrate it. We have Bitfinex, we have Croc, and we have these uh, OKX and, and such. But um, River had, Alex from River had a talk um, on advancing Bitcoin about um, how they operate sort of the node with four different nodes, etc. And like, that that is sort of a topic that is still new is sort of telling a bit about where the industry was a few years ago so i think just that makes a huge difference that this is becoming more people are more knowledgeable about how to operate this also curious your view around centralization in lightning so this has been a common criticism this idea that it'll be a hub and spoke model or it'll be very centralized into very few providers and will that be some kind of flaw in the Lightning Network. I'm curious what you think or how you would respond to that kind of criticism. I mean, there's there's nothing sort of in the centralization that blocks others from participating in the network. So that's one thing. The other is that you have a ton of large businesses and exchanges and, and wallets around the world who will operate large nodes. Um, and these will be quite decentralized in, in that term. But if you look at the liquidity, so a lot of people are concerned about liquidity centralization or capacity centralization. So you can see that some of the biggest nodes, I think if you take the um, the very, very top uh, nodes, like 2% of the entire network uh, holds 85% at least of the capacity. This is actually much less of a problem that you might think because as an individual user, you don't have $20,000 on your node. It doesn't make sense at all. But for a, a, a operator, an exchange or whatever, like having $20,000 on your node, it's, it's tiny. You might have millions, right? Um, so, of course, sort of the, the liquidity distribution there is going to be seem insane and seem very centralized. But as a user and as a shop and whoever needs it to be truly, truly decentralized, 
they can still use it and it works perfectly. We have enough routing nodes everywhere. And there is businesses around the world with um, sufficiently different jurisdictions for this not to be a problem. So if we see a ban like a like mining ban in China or something, these nodes and large businesses operating them are going to move them. Uh, so yeah, I don't see it as a big problem. Yeah. And I think that's totally fair, to be honest. I think um, it's more just a, it's a common criticism that I see and just you know wanted to get your perspective there. Also, in terms of new lightning technology, is there anything you're particularly excited to see come? Yeah, I mean, splicing is, is really exciting. I think that gives a lot of options in order to handle liquidity for these large operators. And also, of course, um, improved handling of uh, opening and closing multiple channels and collaboration among channel opening and closing. Uh, and so there's a lot happening. Um, as, as you can see, we write a lot of threads about future technology and, and lightning and explaining different concepts simply. And I think it's it's like it's really hard to keep up. So, um, yeah, I think splicing is, is one of the coolest things on the on the horizon. Right. Yeah. And so for listeners who aren't familiar, my understanding of a splicing is that instead of, let's say, closing and reopening a channel, we can do one on-chain transaction that resizes the channel. So let's say, you know, say I'm operating a, a node and I have a channel with you, Henrik, and I need to resize it larger. I could have a splice transaction that does that. And then I guess the real power also could be where maybe operations could be batched. And maybe that's where the real sort of big benefits start to come because let's say you are running a big node and you want to re, you know do a lot of operations at once maybe there's more potential for that also so do you want to just explain a little bit about what that future could look like um i mean it's it just just gives more optionality as i say like opening multiple channels uh, distributing uh, channel capacity or uh, aggregating it back again so um, it's just that uh, the tool set is increasing. Um, so I think that's the most important part of it. But yeah, it, it needs to be built into each of the, the implement, implementations, LND, um, yeah, LDK and all of this. And I think that's one of the areas where I would wish to see that we had even more resources, that um, these, like everybody wants the technology today, right now, right? Um, but of course, this is financial um, infrastructure we're building and it takes time and it, it is something you need to be careful with. So. Yeah. And that uh, actually, that reminds me, I need to get Dusty on and talk talk with him about splicing. I know he's been working on that over in the Blockstream Core Lightning team. He's been working on splicing a lot. And uh, I guess it's probably fair to say that the Core Lightning team uh, are probably furthest yeah. ahead on the splicing technology. So that would be interesting. Um I'm curious if you have any thoughts on peer swap. That's something also coming out of Blockstream, which is an interesting technique. And as I understand, you, you might have a node and instead of, put it this way, instead of using LND or Lightning Labs uh, pool server, you are becoming your own swap server. And so these different nodes could peer swap with each other and say, um, as an example, you know, maybe our channel is a little bit lopsided. Let's say I have a channel with you, Henrik, and it's lopsided to maybe your side. And so then maybe what I would do is, you know, I could pay you some on Lightning and then you could pay me on chain and we could balance it in that way. And so that's an interesting concept and it's quite decentralized. So it'd actually be a pretty big benefit. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that and um, maybe if there's anything you're planning to build out for that also. Yeah, so we don't have any specific plans just yet, but... It is like looping and, and sort of transporting liquidity other places uh, without rebalancing in sort of a circular way. 
is something that um, I think with, with PeerSwap, I'm not sure where the protocol is at now, um, but it needs to be quite efficient in sort of pooling transactions, et cetera, which uh, essentially Loop is doing now when they close channels um, or they do loops out, they often batch them together in, in uh, larger transactions. And I think uh, for something like PeerSwap to work, we need to have sort of that handling as well. So I think this is something that we're going to see development in together with the LSP space and is going to be part of the LSP, LSP space as well. So I think what's, we're watching this closely and we're going to, to build out the services and the part of the software where um, these operators need solutions the most. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this parallel, these um, protocols are developing that are not part of the core lightning, sort of the main lightning protocol. And I think this is a really crucial point in, in sort of the history of lightning where to what degree do we define these protocols or to what degree do companies sort of define their own thing? And we, we might end up with a lot of solutions like we have a chat today where there's no, there's no protocol for it. It could be, but there's not. So we have all this ton of different chat protocols. So yeah, I hope that we see more of these general protocols in Lightning get acceptance and adoption. Yeah, you're right. And uh, by the way, I accidentally, I think I said the wrong one. I said... Um uh, pool actually loop I should have said uh, loop, loop as yeah. you said yeah, so, um, what we were talking about is loop mm. yeah is uh, you know you said it correctly I said it wrong also uh, curious if you have any thoughts on uh, music 2 and taproot channels is that going to help or change anything yeah uh, I think so um, I gotta be honest that I have no time to look deeply into it yet um, uh, Jack on our team is writing some excellent uh, stuff on that but um, yeah not sure if I have too much to add on it should check out the threads <laughs> right yeah and as i understand um it could help in terms of today when you open and close lightning channels you can see or well, i think specifically when you close the lightning channel you can see that it's a two of two multi-sig mm. on chain but in a music to taproot world it all looks like a single signature standard transaction in the cooperative close case now in the uncooperative case then it you, you have to reveal some certain things about the transaction um but i think that that could be an interesting privacy um or at least one aspect of privacy it's not it's not the be all end all of privacy um so that's an interesting area also on the privacy question i think maybe there's a bit of a tension here because i'm i'm starting to notice some of this in the discussion there are people in the community and perhaps rightly so they're saying we should care more about reliability than privacy. And then there are the privacy guys who are saying, no, oh, that's so bad. You're doing all this stuff that's going to result in surveillance and decrease privacy. It sort of comes to that question of what is the Lightning Network's purpose, right? Is it there to make reliable and cheaper payments? Or is it also a, perp you know, a, a point or a purpose that it should be making transactions more private. I'm curious if you have any thoughts to add there. Yeah, I mean, um, privacy is very hard to build into it retrospectively. So it's like we should focus a lot on the privacy aspects of this. The new sort of development in like Gossip V2 eventually and um, yeah, Taproot opening your channels, et cetera, it's really important. Um, of course, it takes time. And I think the commercial interests are pushing towards um, adoption of technology as fast as possible, um, which have some side effects. Um, so myself, for example, I'm not the biggest fan of LNURL compared to actually building Bolt 12. In, um, and I think that, again, it's just this constant battle of somebody says, we want to use it immediately, which I also support, right? I want people to use Lightning immediately. But, but that constant battle with privacy. And, and then later on as well, we're, we're going to see that privacy battle rage on, right? 
everybody wants privacy for themselves, but then regulatory aspects or for society, they want sort of the bad guys to be caught. So it's, yeah, it's going to be a war. And it's also fair to say that sometimes what people say and what they do is very yeah. different, right? So there may be people who say they want privacy, but when it comes to, when the rubber meets the road, are they willing to pay the extra price or have a less convenient experience? Maybe not. And so they'll say they want privacy, but actually in practice, they may not care that much. And so then it sort of goes to that question of if there are multiple competing providers or services or tools in the space, the ones that maybe don't care as much about privacy will might win out just because people say, you know, if people say they care about privacy, but don't really, then, uh, you know, it just kind of leans a certain way. Um, and I think we're seeing... Yeah, exactly. And I, I, we see that in with the LSP space and with the custodial wallets, etc. It's like people love to pay for convenience and either with money or with sort of privacy. And um, this is just part of reality that we have to take into account. So also when we develop Lightning, like having that option of or actually not having an option of sacrificing privacy is really a cool way to like some of the core principles in lightning is built that way that it isn't possible to see other people's transaction going on um so i think we need to focus on that when we develop the core protocol yeah i see but it does come to that question of what price are people willing to pay so for example are people willing to go tall only because that can have reliability concerns. And, you know, people like Warren from Blockstream have been speaking about how with all these tall only node operators out there, it's slowing down the overall network and that people are trying to make payments and it's, you know, it's slowing it down. And there are, you know, that's where maybe that tension is coming because some people are saying, no, look, privacy is nice to have, but actually what's most important is the reliability and being able to, you know, quickly send a payment. If I'm standing there in the shop and I'm trying to make this lightning payment and because of everyone doing tour and, you know, it's, it's going really slow and I can't, I can't get the payment through, you know, you can sort of understand the, the concern from their side also that if it's not reliable, people won't use it. Yeah, that's true as well. But also like more people should run tour notes, like a tour, like this offering of relaying tour messages, right? Um, so yeah, it is in every aspect, the sort of convenience, uh, privacy trade-off all the way. And yeah, we just need more people to try to do more good, but also I believe in building in defaults, defaults that enhances people's privacy and benefit, uh, sort of altruistic mindset in building the protocol. It's, I think it's the only way to solve this. Like commercial interests are always going to push for the cheapest, fastest, most beneficial to them. So I guess the the sort of the world of yeah. protocol developers aren't necessarily motivated by money in the same way and have that ability to push the industry towards the right direction. I see. Yeah, and that's a fair point. And as you say, corporate providers for Lightning have an incentive to be less private, right? So they have an incentive. So as an example, you may be a wallet provider who is trying to deliver high reliability. And as part of that, you may do more probing of the network. Uh, and so then maybe there's an argument there that, oh, you're making the network less private if you're doing all this probing. But at the same time, as you said, there could be new technology that comes, whether it's a gossip V2 or something else that lowers the possibility or decreases the possibility for using probing and doing probing. Um, so there's kind of all kinds of arguments there, but it's it's just there are so many moving pieces here. It's hard to, I guess, concretely speak about it, but I guess we're trying to uh, explain a little bit about some of the, the contours of this discussion of what's possible and what's maybe unrealistic. So on the privacy 
conversation. Oh, sorry, did you have something to add there? No, it's just, again, I think it's just hoping that people do good is in a business sense, it's just not, I think it's not going to pan out. It's just, we, we need to to build technology that is resilient to it. Yeah. And in on that um, theme as well, government regulation, right? There have been concerns raised about this kind of thing saying, look, if a lot of people are building out custodial services, is that opening the door for more government? And I don't know, you, your, uh, your business is in uh, Norway, right? Yep. Or uh, I am. Um, oh, right. I see. Yeah. But as an example, I know the EU, or I think Norway's not in the EU, but it's in the EEA or something. Yeah, it's a bit complicated. I, I sometimes struggle to understand the exactly all that. But I understand in the EU, there's a lot of regulation coming, things like MICA and, you know, EU crypto asset sort of rules that could apply or, you know, do you see what kind of um, risks do you see there from government regulation, whether that's in the EU or let's say in Norway? Hmm. I mean, it's a very interesting topic. I'm I'm not completely sure. It, it, there's going to be some crazy attempts at regulation uh, of technology that they don't understand. It's going to take time before they understand it. I mean, for people who hold assets or money for other people and who transact on behalf of other people, they're going to be uh, subject to the same regulation that every other industry, uh, like payment industry uh, participant is going to be. But the, the border sort of, it gets muddied and, and difficult, of course, when you enter into self-custody or sort of these uh, halfway self-custody and especially routing nodes. Routing nodes, uh, essentially, they, they don't know anything about who they're forwarding for. And this is a really interesting space regulatory um, in terms of regulation. And yeah, I, I think it's just going to take a few years until there's clarity on it. And I think basically the conclusion is going to be that it's not possible to really regulate a routing node in that sense. So, or custodial nodes either. Interesting. Yeah. And so then, yeah, because I've seen different arguments made that, you know, it's better if it's more self-custody mm. because it's harder to regulate that that component of it. Whereas if you are a custodial provider, maybe there's more regulations that could apply and hit you, whether that's on the AML side or something else. Um, so do you see any possible responses? Like, should the community be out there trying to advocate? Should people be building tools? What, what kinds of things do you see as helping on that particular front? I think there, there is sort of a natural balance in the development there because there is a lot of people concerned about this that are building self-custody uh, setups and solutions and making it easier and easier for people to to opt out in that sense. And you got to remember that if you don't need it uh, sort of right now, it might be okay to use a, a custodial wallet or um, exchange partner, etc. cetera. Uh, but if you have an efficient way of opting out and jumping into the alternative, uh, the alternative self-custody, that's a really important factor because then you get a lot of the efficiency benefits, but still don't, um, uh, not locking yourself out. The worst case scenario is if you're building towards a world where everything is custodial and everything, just because convenience, everything ends up in only custodial services, then we're in a really bad spot because then we no longer have the alternative for the case where the world turns bad. So in Norway, for example, we're fortunate and have a very stable, predictable uh, government. Um, we have a lot of trust, very low corruption, all this. So the custodial sort of system, financial system for us works really, really well, which is also why we see lower lightning adoption, of course, and Bitcoin adoption in Norway in uses, use cases. But yeah, I mean, it's not likely to change quickly in Norway, but a lot of other countries could 
very quickly change. So yeah, we need to account for both and build towards a world where we have self-custody. The other angle I'm curious to hear your thoughts on is around stable coins, right? So there's been, now I know there was a legal battle about Taro. So Lightning Labs have, I don't know if it's still called Taro or not. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to call it Taro for now. I know there was a legal battle between them and Tari Labs, which is like some Monero L2 shitcoin whatever thing. But basically... There's this question, of, and in fairness, as, as I mentioned, Taro, also RGB is out there. Um, do you have any thoughts on whether if they are, if bringing, quote-unquote, bringing stablecoins to Lightning, and I will note here that some people challenge that notion, whether it's, quote-unquote, on Lightning, is it just, you know, it, it, but anyway, mm. let's just put that to the side. Does bringing stablecoins to Lightning create unwanted attention, government risk, or do you see that like it's an opportunity because there may be more users of Lightning and that's going to grow our network? Yeah, I think it's just uh, it's positive. It, it brings more opportunities, as I say, more, more use of it. And whenever we see, um, when we, we get to a certain level where the number of users and the, we're just going to bring enough attention to this at some point anyway, that there's going to be this sort of, scramble for regulation and uh, i mean it happens to anything like ai now is going through this massive like people screaming in regulation and, and want sort of uh, something limited because it's scary right it's something new uh, that changes society around us so i don't see sort of the the rgb and and stable coin on lightning as something that sort of makes that worse in any way yeah okay fair enough um okay so uh, yeah i think we've we've spoken through a lot of things um but uh, essentially the Lightning Network is growing. People need tools to manage that, whether, you know, if you are an LSP or a routing node in particular, obviously, if you are just more like a, a retail or, you know, individual user, maybe you are just using, you know, apps that deal with the complexity for you. Um, so do you have any closing thoughts then for listeners on uh, Lightning Network and where you think things are going? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just growing in in incredible speed and i think in order to join this industry either as a company or as an individual you need to jump in and start learning because it takes a bit of time to really wrap your head around all the different aspects like liquidity movements and how the network operates and works and just the, the earlier you start to learn this the, the better so if you are an exchange uh, or wallet uh, provider who doesn't have lightning yet you, you need to start experimenting and, and learning about the network at the very least so yeah i just recommend everybody to start running a node if you're somewhat interested in lightning just to get that exposure to, to technology Fantastic. Well, listeners, I'll uh, put the links in the show notes. So it's ln.capital and the Twitter account is ln underscore capital. So links will be in the show notes. Henrik, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I hope you found that episode educational. And before we finish up, also note there is Bitcoin and Lightning for Corporations. This is an event, a conference on by the MicroStrategy people, and they've got a they've got this coming up on May 3rd and 4th of 2023. This is going to be in Orlando in Florida. So I'll be actually one of the MCs for the event along with Natalie Brunel. There's a cast of awesome speakers there, Michael Saylor himself, obviously, Elizabeth Starr from Lightning Labs, Jack Mallers, and many more. So there is a discount code available, code Lavera gets you uh, a price of $999 versus the standard price of $1495. So use code Levera for a discount there, and I'll put the link in the show notes there. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.